0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt. And not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a 7 or 8 mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent and you're going to be doing that for 5 days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces, NATION30, and you will receive 30% off your purchase. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. Hopefully everyone has enjoyed the first shotgun season or the archery season or has had the ability to get outside and and do some fishing before the ice gets on the water or just get outside and do some pheasant hunting and take advantage of the fall and uh, so far December has been pretty nice outside if you ask me. Today we have Tom Peplinski back on the show and we're going to be talking about this post-rut Post-first shotgun season, like the second shotgun season, strategies, tactics, we're going to be talking about deer behavior, right? And we all know what happens in the summertime when deer are, you know, calm, they're on this bed-to-food pattern into the fall, a bed-to-food pattern, then the rut hits, right? The breeding season starts to pick up and deer go crazy for a little while. Then after that, the deer, you know, the breeding season's over. Deer are starting to get back into this bed-to-feed pattern. Then the shotgun season hits. And that introduces more people to the woods, which introduces more pressure to the deer herd. And that's what this episode is about. Uh, Tom and I talk about some some late season strategy we talk about what to do if there's a lot of gun pressure in the areas that you hunt and how you can maybe work around that we talk about bed to food patterns we talk about how food plays a huge role this time of year especially if the temperatures are cold and there's potentially some snow in the forecast all these things that uh, play a real big role now Let's see here. Uh, we got to do a commercial for our partner, Quiet Cat. Now, Quiet Cat is an e-bike, and they are very fun. First and foremost, they're fun to ride, right? They are an electric bike, and uh, you charge them up just like you would a, your cell phone, right? You charge them up, and they have an assistant. assistance, I guess you would say. You can pedal, and it provides assistance. So it's not just a bike. There's actually a motor on it. You can pedal. And that gives you some assistance. Or it has a straight up throttle on one of the handles. And you don't even need to pedal if you don't want to. But they're really fun to have. And, and why are these things awesome? Well, if you're older or you have bad knees. Or you don't want to drive a vehicle through your property. To, and make a whole bunch of noise and spook the deer. Or the game that you're trying to hunt. These things are quiet. Hence the name. And they can go anywhere that a vehicle can go. And they... They are less intrusive on the properties that that you hunt or access. They're awesome for check and trail cameras, awesome during bow season or shotgun season to get you back quiet the uh the deer movement isn't interrupted or disturbed as you get back to your tree stand or your ground blind and uh they're perfect for anyone that may have some problems walking up hills or walking down hills or just getting outside this is just another avenue for you guys to stay out outside longer Uh, and straight up they're just fun so i don't have any problems walking back to my tree stands but I love riding them uh, especially when I was out in Colorado my buddy Adam has uh, a couple of them and he let me and my wife take them out in the mountains and uh, man they're really fun they're an electric bike they're one of the most popular brands on the market so if you want to find out more information about quiet cat visit their website quietcat.com cat is spelled with a K quietcat.com and uh, take out or take a look at all of the uh, all of the products that they offer they have accessories like gun racks and bags and like saddle bags you can put your stuff in uh all that good stuff so quietcat.com and without further ado let's get into today's episode where we talk about the iowa shotgun seasons with my buddy tom peplinski all right my good buddy tom peplinski is back on the phone with us today tom man how we doing
1: good glad to be back with you these are always really fun to do dan
0: yeah Um, so both seasons for the most part over here in Iowa, we are already through the first shotgun season. We're getting ready to hit the second shotgun season of Iowa. And, uh, let me ask you this. Do you participate in the shotgun seasons at all?
1: I, I myself don't, but, um, now that we're residents, uh, my wife will go, uh, maybe my son or my daughter will participate, like as a in a group hunt, because you can group hunt. Um, so I myself don't, but definitely family members will. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you guys uh, find that you have more success in the first uh, first season shotgun or second season?
1: Well, I think it kind of depends. Um, the second shotgun is longer, so yeah. I, I think there's more opportunity to put together of a better better cat and mouse type plan and uh, take your time and it, to me it's like more of a hunt You get a little bit more time yeah and it seems like there's a lot more hunting pressure first shotgun so a lot of the natural movement after the first day really starts to cater off pretty quick yeah at least that's been my experience depending on where you're hunting but so I know that doesn't really answer your question it depends on what kind of hunt you want if you want quick and fast and, you know, kind of lucky type of thing, the first shotgun you might see a lot more deer, but a lot less natural movement. Where the second um you get some cold leather and maybe a little bit of snow or something like that, you can really put together a pretty good um natural movement hunt because the season's quite a bit longer.
0: That bed to, they're you know, they're back to that bed to food pattern
1: by then. <laughs> yeah. I think they're already back to yeah bed to feed for the most part. But uh, depending on where you're going there might be some pretty substantial hunting pressure which which will really impact natural movement. At least that's been my experience. Yeah.
0: So here on not only the Iowa Sportsman, but my podcast and you know on the Sportsman's Nation Network, we talk a lot about, you know, the rut. And we talk a lot about breeding and how, you know, the whole, the whole world, the whitetail world is dictated by by that one moment, those couple weeks where the deer go crazy or that that 30 days where the deer go crazy in the past um have you noticed any type of breeding or rutting activity leading into that first shotgun season or even later
1: yeah uh so it's not uncommon to see some fawns get bred and it's really not all that uncommon to see a doe um be in heat during the first shotgun I I wouldn't say that you should expect it and I would say I don't hunt it I don't hunt like travel corridors between doe bedding areas and all this kind of stuff you would in November um but it's there so it's kind of a it's there it's, it's these does are still maybe coming in the heat possibly the second breeding cycle of a doe and some fawns but at the same token I never hunt it I don't I don't hunt it as a as a rut hunt. I yeah. don't do any calling or rattling, grunt grunting. My stands aren't set up for that type of action, but absolutely we do see it.
0: And that's crazy. Somebody sent me a picture this year of what I would say it, it, the picture's from September, early September, and it is a fawn that still has spots on it. And I would say if you were compare gonna compare it to the average you would compare it to a fawn from maybe late June or early July so
1: sure so what is, yeah. yeah so what does that tell you
0: yeah yeah uh, one month it's gonna well it's gonna be what that that's probably like three months almost different like three months past the rut some deer can still cycle through
1: yeah and I I don't have my notes in front of me on the rut, um, but I've kept notes from like uh, all different studies on uh, the breeding period for Iowa and in actually the whole Midwest. And I want to say the average for a fawn is, and maybe you know this right offhand, but I want to say it's like 20 days or 25 days past peak breeding for the adult does. So if you're looking at peak breeding is mid-November, let's just say November 15th is where that peak on that bell curve would be. You're looking at early December would be fawn when the fawns are starting to get bred or yeah. when they do get bred. And I'm not saying that all fawns do get bred, but the ones that do, I think that's, that's definitely the timing.
0: Yeah, the healthy ones, the bigger ones who potentially have been born early, you know, let's say their, their mom was bred in mid-October. And they're born early, and they they've had a, a good nutrition and and all that stuff. There's definitely that opportunity for them to go into heat, and I think a lot of that has to do with almost body weight. I think they've the science has shown that if they hit a certain body weight, then they'll they'll go into estrus.
1: Yeah, I think I've read that also.
0: So, um, so I personally have seen some crazy activity, and nothing like no you know, five-year-olds running around like crazy. But I can remember late, I'm, I'm going to say I was home for Christmas and I was back in the woods. I can't remember if I had a shotgun tag or if the, uh, the gun season was over by then that year. But I can remember sitting in a tree stand and watching, you know, a couple three-year-olds and a couple two-year-olds, so there's four deer chasing a doe. And by then, it's kind of weird because some of them have their winter coats on and they're not slick and clean looking like, you know, the, the early fall coats are. So it was just, it was just something weird. And it kind of lets you know, like, Hey man, there's still a possibility for some of these does to not get bred. Now this is where it also gets a little crazy because even in Iowa there, this is when we start to introduce uh, a lot of hunting pressure into the timber and I want to ask you on your farms and you mentioned a group hunting earlier do you and your family do deer drives or do you guys just kind of all sit in the same area
1: uh we don't we don't do deer drives I I used to do that when I was like a kid and I just never really cared for it and you know, I started to get more into managing gear and trying to get year and a half old bucks to make it to two years old and stuff like that. We just got away from deer drives. Plus it's hard to get a good shot. Seems like they're always running and yeah. And if you have a small property and you drive it out once or twice or three times, you're really, you're really basically harming yourself if you want to do any kind of sitting. Yeah. Plus I got into food plots over the years and I'm, and I'm specifically targeting late-season hunting with my corn and soybeans with grain food plots. So if if I was going to do any kind of, like, driving on my farms, I definitely wouldn't be putting in hundreds or even, in some case, thousands of dollars of corn and soybean food plots and then turning around and driving that same property out. It, was, yeah. it kind of – one one defeats the other. So we yeah. don't we don't do it, but we will definitely – try to take advantage of neighbors that do yeah by hunting our prop because i know that deer are gonna are gonna crash into our property because we're not in there disturbing them
0: yeah and that kind of that's a, a good point there do you find that if you leave your uh your property alone and don't have that added pressure during the shotgun season where some of the surrounding farms or neighborhoods do do deer drives. Do you find that you have more deer on your property during that, those shotgun seasons?
1: Yeah, not even, not even, even the farms around that don't do deer drives, but they're very invasive the way they hunt. Like they're driving their four wheelers in slamming truck doors. Um, They're walking into the center of their property. Uh, Impatient hunters that, you know, get down out of their stands and they'll walk a fence line and you'll, you'll burn out a property pretty quick you, you'll do it in in november yeah in october november you'll do it but it's a little bit harder when, when the bullets start flying and guns start going off and you're starting to walk around in your property even if you're not driving you'll burn it out very quickly yeah now that's not to say these big you know three four five hundred acre farms, thousand acre farms you can probably get away with a lot more activity i guess yeah. but for the average guy that's hunting 80 acres, maybe 160 acres. If you're walking the center of your property during gun season, you're going to burn it out pretty quick. Yeah. So, uh, the guys that are staying out of their properties or they're hunting the edges and they're being very careful about how they go in and how they come out almost to the, to the extreme, you'll absolutely pile deer in your property. Even if your habitat, there's properties around my house, I'm thinking of one specifically that my wife always, she'll drop me off. Let's say when I'm going into a certain stand, and a lot of times she'll sit on this cow pasture with a spotting scope, um, just right off the Polaris Ranger, and she can she can just watch for you know a thousand a thousand yards in all directions. And there's properties that have little or no hunting pressure, and I want to say that the habitat is below average food source is below average but by the end of november you know when we start into that first shotgun that property will have deer in it like crazy yeah just because they're trying to get away from all the hunting pressure and that's during bowl season you can multiply that by two or three times once you get in the shotgun yeah
0: and that's one thing that i've i've talked about a lot in the past is once the pressure starts to hit these deer they're not going to tolerate it right they're either going to learn to work around it or they're just going to leave and that's wh- why when when i used to drive around a lot more during the actual rut or you know post rut time frame i would see a big buck just like in it in a in a, a, a old farmhouse like an abandoned farmhouse thicket right? Just chilling there, right? Because he's been pressured from so many other sides that he's just found this little pocket or the deer have found this little pocket that is, there's no pressure and it's because nobody looks for him. Uh, uh, Another good example, I think, is river bottom ground where there's just a sliver, maybe it's all ag all around it, but there's just a, a 10 to 15 yard sliver of timber that runs right against the river before it hits that ag field. And I've seen a lot of deer uh, hold up in there during the shotgun seasons because, you know, they are they found this place where, it, oh, man, you drive by that all the time, it doesn't even look like there's deer there, but because of the pressure, deer are there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, the other thing I'll mention too is uh, you'll see farms that, the landowner and or the people who hunt that farm don't don't archery hunt. And again, they, they don't do anything for food plots. They don't do anything for habitat management and the property itself might be below average for this kind of stuff, but there's no archery hunting. Maybe there's not even any shotgun hunting and somebody will go in their late muzzle muzzleloader, second shotgun. And everyone says, "Oh, they get lucky every year. Well, that might be true if they're not, maybe they have no idea that this is happening, but just the fact that nobody's been there just elevates that property to where they can slip in with a gun and they're getting a nice deer every year and they don't even know why, you know, so people are saying they're lucky and maybe to them they are lucky, but just the fact that there's no hunting pressure that you're going to pile in there. And even if they make a mistake or two, it doesn't matter because they, that land has been basically put aside uh, and the pressure's been non-existent. Yeah. And, I, and I see it all the time. I have friends that, that'll say, how come so-and-so neighbor, they don't they don't know how to hunt. They don't, you know, they smell like tobacco and they they drive their foyer out there. Well, that's the first time they've hunted that property all year. And that's right. why they're getting a nice deer, you know, every other year, or every year, because that's the first time they've entered that, that piece of timber.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. And I, I know this is kind of off- off subject kind of going backwards but when do you feel from a a, a time frame every year cuz i cuz you're kind of like me you spend a you know or throughout the years you've spent a lot of time in the timber a lot of time in the tree stand a lot of time observing deer behavior when do you tend to see the 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 quote unquote rut activity just kind of fall off and the deer start to group back up and go back to this bed-to-food
1: pattern? Um, so, kind of two parts. I, I actually see the doe family groups start to group up and really start going on a pretty patternable bed-to-feed probably around the November 25th time frame, time frame-ish. And the bucks will even do it. The bucks, you can actually sometimes see bucks in bachelor groups or be more tolerant, but the bucks will still come out at this point in time, let's say on a food source on an evening hunt, and they'll still check all the those, and then they'll just gorge on standing beans or corn or if it's a little bit warmer, maybe a green food source. But it seems about that first shotgun season every year, early December, yeah, we started out the podcast talking about there's does that maybe come in heat. There's fawns that maybe are coming in heat, but it just sure seems like by the time you hit early December that 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 is a secondary or even a third consideration yeah. for the deer herd. It's, it's back on a bed to feed. It's back even more so with bucks because they've lost body fat and stuff like that. So that's that's why... I don't do any type of like rut strategy by the time early December kicks around because it just seems like they're on a bed to feed pattern. But I mean, to go back, some of the best hunting year in and year out, if I still have a buck tag, is that end of November. Yeah. Like 23rd, 25th, 27th. You can have some really phenomenal hunting there because you'll still have. Some does coming in the heat. The bucks are still kind of in that. What do you want to say? In that zone. Yeah. They're still looking for them. But yet, you're on a bed to feed pattern. It seems like it gets almost a little bit easier to hunt. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I'll, t- I'll tell by you. By the
1: time you get to this second shotgun and stuff, I don't. It's over. It's all. To me, it's all bed to feed yeah. by the time you get into this second shotgun.
0: Yeah. It was crazy. I, um, I tagged out on November 7th this year, which is. I don't want to say it. I'm going to say it's right on average with my bow season. And then, so I went back to driving around at night with my kids in the car and just kind of observing, you know, and all through November leading up to that Thanksgiving, the 26th, I would, I'd be seeing, I don't know. I'd be seeing some kind of running activity in the fields. Right. But it was almost like this year, I, it was a, there was a switch that happened and that first week of November or excuse me the first week of December somewhere around November 30th, I think that was a Monday, I started driving around and I would see deer in the field, bucks in the field, even some some good deer in the like a I don't know three four-year- old deer in the in the field and they didn't have any interest anymore. So it was almost like and, I, and maybe you tell me what you saw, but it was almost like a switch this year that was like, boom, ruts over, and there was no trickle.
1: Yeah, I don't, because I was doing the same. I I got one, my first buck early, and then I think I shot another buck with my landowner tag, and I think it was November 11th, and then I kept hunting for some does, and then I, I'm just not going to stay out of the woods. So, there was days I didn't even take my bow, and I just took my camera, but I wanted to experience you know, sitting in a tree stand and stuff like that. But so I, I again saw that, I don't, I don't want you want to say it, that bell curve mm-hmm. of activity. And then uh, it just seemed like that end of November was a, a pretty good spike of activity again. Yeah. But then it does, it does, to me, it seems like it, it's not like late October when it seems like there's a build up and it just kind of keeps building and building and building to this ramp. On, on the tail end it seems like yeah you have a, a pretty good spike of activity there but then it does cut off pretty quick and yeah. they just they're just back on a bed to feed pattern and i don't know if i can give you a date but yeah early yeah. early december every year it's it's the same
0: okay so we've we've kind of talked ourselves into agreeing that you know the rut's over Right. The deer back on this bed to food pattern. Yeah, you might get lucky and you might find the very last doe, you know, who maybe didn't get bread or, you know, a fawn that's coming into heat or whatever. But as far as strategy is concerned, what would you recommend a guy to do? And and I'm going to we're going to cover a couple bases here and I want to throw some scenarios out um, to you and I want to hear what you have to say. So it's, we're, we're coming up on this second shotgun season, okay? And I want to I talk about a guy who the, the properties around him, maybe even the properties that he has access to are pressured. How is this guy going to f- uh, be successful this second shotgun season hunting some pressured land? Well,
1: my first advice would be to not pressure your property. So, uh, let's just, let's just pick an 80 acre property and everything around you is getting hammered pretty good. And there's people walking around and four wheelers going in. If you're going to hunt, my suggestion would be to hunt what, you know, maybe ditch, ditch crossings, draws leading into your property, but on the edges and you have a gun. So you have a little bit of an advantage where you don't have to be right in the thick of them because you can. You can get out there a hundred yards, but the more you can leave your property alone, the more you'll have decent hunting for nine days. Yeah. So if if you dive right in and you just start hunting like everybody else does, you may or may not get a deer, but you're going to, there's going to be some place in your area that the deer are going to figure out nobody's hunting or, or people are not very, intrusive the way they are hunting and that's where they're going to end up for that gun season so you can choose to have that be your property or not and if you don't by the end of the nine days there's a very high likelihood that your property is going to be void of deer yeah unless you're unless you're you know just relying on what i would say like almost complete luck where something something gets bumped to you Maybe two or even three times, you know, a four wheeler, and then a guy walking, and then it happens to run by you. Yeah. Um. But I always, I always try to hump the edges where I can see. Still playing the wind. I don't want my scent blown in at, to any of my property, so my scent's always blowing out. Um. And then in the evenings, if you do have a, a primary food source, standing beans, uh, standing corn. Or even alfalfa clover. It's, um, like today, it's what is it today? 60 degrees. While we're doing this podcast, yeah, they'll be hitting green. But again, I would say, if you're if your comfortable range with your shotgun, let's say is 125 yards, then you should be back at 125 yards if 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 you can do that. Because if you're hunting those food plots and you're right in there, let's say you're picking an archery stand, for example, and you're right on top of them they aren't going to tolerate that if a, if a doe picks you off and then she starts snorting and stomping and there's it, one or two nights like that. And it's going to be the same thing, but your, yep. your nine day hunt is, is over pretty quick.
0: It's almost like you're saying, you know, know your weapons range, right? If you're, if you're confident at a hundred yards, if you're confident at 75 yards with your shotgun or whatever that range is, hunt at that very last limit, give the deer some breathing room because they've been pressured and allow them to get in to shooting range of your weapon and maybe not hunt them like you would if you had a bow.
1: Yeah, that's, that's what I do. I, I set up my blinds. So again, I'm, I'm private land. I'm planting I'm planting my grain crops in the spring for late season hunting by and large. So between, I mean, and we've done other podcasts to talk about this, but my ambush sites for a gun hunt are as far back as, as I can make it and still know that I can pull the trigger one time and and kill that animal ethically. And so if I'm confident at 125 yards with a shotgun, although I'm not going to go back to 175 and be like, oh, I'll just aim a little high and take a poke. No, I'm not suggesting that, but I'm at the farthest limit. Yeah. Where I'm confident that it's going to be, it's going to be a one-shot deal, and the the animal's going to go down that way. At the end of the hunt, I can get out of there. You know, let's say it's an evening hunt, I can get out of there without bumping any deer. And even a morning hunt, if I'm slipping into a fence roll or something like that, I don't want to be walking 600 yards of what would be potential cover. I mean, we already talked about that earlier, right? These these deer find these fence rolls and these little prick bottoms and all this stuff well if you're gonna walk if you're gonna walk that out going in your morning hunt because let's say you're using a an archery setup you, you very likely just drove that out at six o'clock in the morning and didn't even realize it yeah yeah so morning or evening i just try to very much so stay on the edges
0: yeah a lot of the i think a lot of the talk and what we're finding here is it all revolves around pressure right i mean it's almost like part of your strategy is to are you going to beat the the pressure by hunting the first season shotgun or are you going to allow the pressure from the first season shotgun to come and, and bump deer onto the properties that you have access to right and that's if yeah. you and that's if you have full control of your property
1: yeah correct yeah yeah correct like my my farm that I shot my first buck on this year. Nobody will have been on that farm, including myself. Not checking cameras, not doing anything from. And I'm just gonna guess here. I want to say like November 21st until late muzzle order. So nobody will nobody will be on that. Not checking cameras, nothing from November 21st. So that's I'm trying to take advantage of pressure that is at that end of November, early December archery season when we, so we're talking about that, that crash of rut activity. Yep. So they'll start seeking out those really good cover areas, really good food sources. So now I go through first shotgun, there's nobody on that farm. Second shotgun, there's nobody on that farm. And maybe this is overkill. And I want to stress that I have the ability to do this because I have more than one farm and I have some friends, um, properties that I can hunt on closer to where I live and stuff like that. So I had the ability to do that. But then you get into that late muzzle muzzleloader. And I think it would work for second shotgun too. I just choose to wait till late muzzle muzzleloader. But you could slip in on an evening hunt over standing beans and corn, assuming the weather's not 70 degrees and you got some pretty good hunting, yeah. some really good hunting because the deer just haven't seen any pressure since the end of November and typically it's not uncommon for us to even pick up a buck or even two that I've never even had a picture of or anything like that because they've, they've come in there and realized that they're safe and, and they don't leave either. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Until, uh, old, old, uh, Peplinsky gets out of his truck with a late season muzzleloader tag and they're not safe anymore. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the idea. Right. That's the idea.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a that brings on a really good point. Have you ever had um a buck maybe show up during that high pressure shotgun season time frame um and maybe he's not a shooter for you that year, but he's he's like, "You know what? I like this area." And then he called it home and maybe changed his core area.
1: I uh, I don't I don't hunt enough of the shotgun seasons even though like I said family on go and stuff that I can really say that I saw that, but I know what happens. And I don't know if they'll be around necessarily next year, like they'll entirely move their core area. But if you have preferred food, again, beans and corn, and if it's warm, some good green food sources, and you've got fairly thick covers, so they've got some daytime browse, you provided 40 acres or 80 acres, 160 acres of pressure-free habitat for these deer you'll it's it's not uncommon to pick up deer that you're like oh you know i haven't seen that deer since august yeah because they'll find they'll find those little slots and, if, and if, as long as you haven't gone in there and there's food in there's cover there's really no reason for them to leave yeah so
0: yeah so <laughs> A lot of it has to do with the ability to manage the pressure on the farms, right? If, if you don't have the ability to manage the pressure and you're at the mercy of, you know, Hey, I got a group of guys who I always give permission to first season. And then I have a group of guys that uh, I always give permission for second season. And, and you, you just, you don't have the ability to manage that pressure. Any suggestions for that guy who just is at the mercy of life i guess
1: well for starters if if you're at that mercy and let's say you're hunting a farm that the guys all get together and they're driving here you, you either have a choice you either participate in those activities and maybe set aside your preference even if you don't want to and just try to have fun and participate or you're going to have a pretty frustrating five and nine day season because it's, if if you're thinking you're going to bow hunt it with a gun. So that's kind of what I'm saying here is you're, you're going to take your shotgun out and you're going to hunt it like it's an archery hunt and it's sneaking in and sneaking out and hunting these food sources. But the group of eight guys you're hunting with drive it every day. That's going to be a pretty frustrating experience for you. So you either need to change your expectations or go along. I, I guess that's yeah. That's a, over cut corn, if the woodlot had gotten driven out twice that day by a, you know ten guys, yeah, I just I wouldn't do it. I would either participate or I'd I'd find something else.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. What about this uh, scenario where uh, you know we talk a, a lot about the differences in strategy between you know whether you have a bow or whether you have a shotgun which has a longer range do you think that if you are sharing property with another person and they may be a typical uh field edge hunter right they're hunting over that food source trying to take advantage of some of what we just talked about that bed to food pattern in the late season do you think it might be worthwhile for the guy who um doesn't you know have the or not necessarily doesn't have the ability, but he, the property that he's sharing the the hunting season with the, the shotgun season with for him to go into the timber and use some of those bow hunting strategies for this late season period to almost cut the deer off before they make it to the food source.
1: Uh, I can see that's a tough one for me. Cause I've ne- I've never been really in that, in that predicament where I'm hunting with a group of guys that aren't like-minded yeah that you know so I I guess I can see how you can try to do that but I my experience has been that if you're gonna go marching in uh into timber in the middle of December it's really it's tough it's hard to do because I've seen food sources get cleared by a squirrel that I mean I'm long I'm long-range glassing like leading up to let's say late muzzleloader. So I'm not even hunting, but I'm long range glassing and I'm talking a half a mile with a spotting scope. And I have no idea what, what clears a field and I'm I'm assuming it's a squirrel or who knows. You know, a doe just doesn't like a raccoon coming out or something. Oh yeah. And whole field clears. So now as a hunter I think I'm gonna I s to I think I'm gonna sneak in and hunt those deer. I just I don't to me, it's not – now, if, if someone's listening to this podcast, like, oh, yeah, I do it all the time. I would say hats off to you, and if it works, keep doing it. I, so I'm not saying that yeah. if you're doing it and it's working, to not do it. Yeah. But that's not been my experience. Yeah. It just hasn't been. And, and, if, we... and, if it, and if it has worked, it's kind of lady luck where I went in or I knew somebody that went in and really something got bumped to them type of thing by maybe somebody else going in on their property but I don't know that you can really bow hunt type strategies in the middle of October while people are driving around with their four wheelers and, and guns are going off every evening. And I just yeah. think you're a little bit too smart for that.
0: Yeah. It it, it it really, it really comes down to what you have access to in the, in the farms that you have access to, because the, the reason and the way that I have led myself and the way that I hunt is because of other hunters hunting pressure. Um, I used to be that field edge hunter and I used to hunt, you know, like have guys walk by me all the time or, um, you know, a four wheeler coming down a path or, or whatever. And I, I would get frustrated, which kind of led me to be mobile because I didn't have the ability um, to do what you do. And that is have the food plots and have the, you know, the standing crops for the late season. And, and I, I guess it's controlling the environment, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yep. So
1: and one, there's, and there's a way you, there's ways you can get in. I, yeah. I'm sure you've done it. So I'm not trying to tell anybody that you can never hunt timber. Oh yeah. With a gun, but, but you have to be sneaky about it. Yeah. So if, if you know deer are feeding in a cornfield and you, and you think, you know, where they're bedded, you can't walk through the cornfield and then march right into the bedding area. You almost got to like find a way to maybe get around the backside in the morning type of thing Yeah, where you're, you're a half mile or three quarters of a mile away from potentially where you're thinking the deer are. So I'm not saying you can't do it, but you just got to be really, really sneaky and really diligent about what your approach is. And the other thing you brought up, I have had scenarios in my life where I have h- hunted with guys that I felt like didn't use the wind and didn't pay really good attention to their access to their stands, you know, in and out. And I would actually, in a way, hunt their pressure or the amount of pressure they were putting on the same farm that I was hunting by trying to find these isolated spots. Like you're talking about these little crick bottoms or this ditch that is really hard to get to that nobody hunts type of thing, because I knew by the end of the rut, type of type of scenario, that all the quote unquote good spots were actually not the good spots anymore because they were burned out. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, it's just it's it's tough, right? I feel like you can you can really. Use strategy during the bow hunting season when, obviously, there's less people in the woods, there's more vegetation in the timber, um, there's still more food available at that time, and the deer just feel comfortable uh, in that environment. Now, you take all the leaves off the vegetation, you, maybe you add some snow, which really, uh, I don't know about you, but you add snow to the ground, movement is much easier to pick up, especially if you're a deer right? You're walking, there's nothing blocking you. And you see a guy walking through the woods, you're going to run. Um, and then on top of all that, uh, for, for a hunter, you know, now you're adding more people to the environment. You're adding more pressure to the environment and deer are going back to that, you know, mostly nocturnal movement. And, uh, you got, you really do have to rely on uh, managing the pressure and finding the food because I don't know about you, but have you ever in the past and i i i'm guessing now you've you have enough food on your properties to get you know the local herd through the winter but do did you ever have a time where it's just like oh man i ran out of food on my farm my or my food plots are empty uh because you know all of the deer came to them and, or it just matched up perfect with a snowstorm
1: oh for sure yeah yeah i mean back before i owned land we we leased land or asked or hunted by permission or on public land. But in all those years, we were able to put food plots in, but it was never, we could never put in five acres of corn, you know, whatever. It was half acre of some inside corner of really poor ground that the farmer didn't want to farm anyway kind of thing. And you could put some winter rye or, so yeah, for the first 20 years of my hunting life, we never had, I never was able to hunt standing soybeans in the middle of December. Yeah. That was just that that wasn't available. Yeah, at least not on the private ground. So you just go nuts trying to find maybe some standing corn that's on uh, public ground that they couldn't get it off on a wet year, or uh, just some really good. The other thing is there's some there's some actually pretty good habitat. Let's say you're next to cut corn or cut beans, but you're in a really good, thick, non-pressured area with a lot of dogwood or other natural browse. Uh, maybe it's something that's been logged, and deer will pile in there too. Yeah, it's just harder to hunt because again, you're going into that security cover, so you got to you know be careful not you're not bumping deer out. But I mean, let's face it, most parts of Iowa and even across the Midwest. There's not, you don't have standing beans and corn at the end of December, unless it's a food plot. I mean, all the normal farming activity, unless it's like a really wet year or something like that, that's, that's all yeah. done. Yeah. That's, that's been a month.
0: Yep. Well,
1: so you're back to hunting, you're back to hunting, you know, these woodlots and farms that attracted deer because of, they got really good browse really nice to cover maybe it's a southern facing slope if it if it's colder than hell out you know you're looking maybe for a southern facing slope where the deer can warm up maybe it's maybe it's some crp ground that hadn't had its management like it's supposed to so i you know i i see a lot of crp ground around here that has warm season grasses but there's cedar trees that are eight feet tall and that's that's not supposed to be that way Cedar trees aren't supposed to be in CRP. Those are supposed to be cleaned up, but a lot of times the, the farmers or whoever had that enrolled in CRP didn't do the mid-contract management the burns and stuff. Well, that'll actually attract a lot of deer also. Yeah. You get six-foot-tall, big blue stem amongst eight-foot-tall cedar trees on a south-facing slope, and that thing will be loaded with deer.
0: Yeah, you got that thermal that cover. Number.
1: Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, and even if it's a half mile away from cut corn, that's, if that's the best they got, you'll have that thing loaded with with gear.
0: Yeah, I gotta share. I gotta share a quick story with you once. Um, so I hunted a piece of property. Oh, uh, this was several, several years ago, and the the farmer had an old like, man. I don't even. I don't even want to say eight row. It might have even been smaller than an eight row combine head, and that's that's what he had. That's what he. Um, Combine is field with, and there was a lot of grain waste on the, because it was a really old combine. There was a lot of grain waste and it made that farm and that field specifically just loaded with deer late season. I mean, loaded where if we got a really big snow, you knew where you needed to set up because the trails were there and that is where the deer are coming, you know, coming in and out of. Well, he upgraded one year and he got a new combine this <laughs> this thing was very efficient and it had no grain waste at all. I mean, I remember walking through this cornfield and I'm just like, there's not one kernel on the ground here. And I sat there like two or three days on the late season thinking it was going to be the same as the year before. Not one deer came into this field for three days in a row. And yeah. And, it and, and so it's like the farming practices and the efficiency of the, the machinery can play a role in how your late season is going to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I remember the days when the farmers had the two row, the two row ideal corn pickers. They weren't even combines. They were corn pickers that picked them into the gravity box and then they would take the gravity box and they would either take that to the feed mill or they would have their own feed grinder and they would grind up the cob corn to make feed. Yeah. And those, those corn pickers, I don't know. I'd, I don't know. I guess maybe 10% loss. Oh yeah. So if you're, you know, let's say 150 bushel of corn, there was 15 bushels per acre left on the ground in a yeah. the, the form of full cobs that either fell off the, the, the elevator going up into the gravity box or fell off the stalk on the way, on the way up the picker. Yep. But you're right, it was amazing the amount of deer you'd see on those cornfields, yeah. And then, and then, the, and then these modern combines now <laughs> they go through at five miles an hour and then clean up 60 acres in a couple hours, and oh, there's yeah. nothing left,
0: nothing, nothing yeah. at all. Well, uh, Tom, is there anything else that you can think of that, from a, maybe a strategy standpoint or a tips and tricks type of uh comment that you'd like to make before we close her down about hunting this late season or the second shotgun time frame.
1: The only, the only thing I'll say is, uh, I'm a big fan of being able to sit as long as you can on stand. So, and this goes for archery hunting also, but it, it also applies to the shotgun seasons because you're hunting pressure deer. So for our tree season, I'm not one of these guys that will go in an hour before light. And you and I have talked about this before, Dan. And the reason why is because I can't sit in a stand for 12 hours.
0: Yeah, neither do neither
1: I, just, I. I. I can't do it. So I would rather get to my stand right at right at shooting light or just barely before, so that if I can handle four hours in a hang on before I start to cramp off and my back is going nuts and whatever, at least it's four hours of shooting. Yeah. So the, the same, I would say for shotgun, maybe it's a blind. So, you know, maybe abandon the tree stand type thing. So you can sit in the blind because if it's cold as hell, then you can at least try and sit till 10 or 11 o'clock, as opposed to you're freezing and you're getting down at nine. And then you're actually the hunter that's walking out of your fence roll or your blind, potentially bumping a deer to somebody else instead be the guy that can sit all day type of thing yeah. because you are relying on some of this pressured movement it's not all natural movement yeah so the longer you can stay on stand the longer you can stay quiet uh the longer you can stay warm that's that's an advantage and it seems like it's so simple but it uh it does make a difference my wife will actually pack in a blanket So she'll sit in blinds a lot and then she'll actually pack in a blanket so that once she gets on stand and she kinda cools down from that walk, she'll actually cover up with a blanket in the blind and that gives her probably an extra hour on stand or so she's you know, she's freezing at nine thirty, ten o'clock. Maybe now she can stay till ten o'clock, eleven o'clock. And that you wouldn't think that makes a difference, but if you're the guy that can stick it out longer, sometimes that helps.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point, man. Well, Tom, uh, appreciate your uh, time today. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Good luck with the tags that you have left in your pocket and to your family if they're coming through. And uh, I guess we'll talk to you next time.
1: Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Dan. Have a good late season.